0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Lee, I'm the Lead Applications Engineer for b in the Southeast region, and to me, automation is my specialty.
1: All right, welcome to today's episode of This is Automation. Today we have a special guest, Jeremy Lee. Thanks for uh, joining us, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so could you just take a quick minute and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your history uh, at BNR? Yep. So uh, I've
0: worked at BNR for about nine years now, just kind of programming machines. My educational background is I have a degree in mathematics and electrical engineering and uh, well, about two years ago started in the online master's program in computer science at Georgia Tech where I'm specializing in machine machine learning, and I, I suppose that's what qualifies me to be talking <laughs> with
1: you here on this topic today. That's right. So, spoiler alert, we are talking about uh, machine learning today. Um, so, Jeremy, could you just tell us a little bit more about that, that program and kind of, uh, like, what was your first exposure to machine learning and why is that something that's interesting to you?
0: Right. So, uh, my first exposure really was the, let's say in an educational context, was the Intro to Machine Learning course in the, in the program. That's taught by two professors, Charles Isbell, who's now the Dean of the Computer Science uh, School at Georgia Tech, and Michael Lippmann uh, Brown University, who has a, a big name in machine learning. And oh, the, the topic is just cool, I suppose. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's certainly become kind of a pop culture reference, almost, in the way it's kind of permeating our lives. And wanted to understand that. Uh, you know, my first exposure in real life, it's probably hard to know when exactly we mm-hmm. start to get you know, recommendations for things. Uh, Netflix and Google, they, they're learning about us and, and trying to predict the things that we would like to see. So it's
1: kind of permeating our lives, whether we know it or not. So, yeah, I guess as far as uh, how most people have probably seen machine learning for the first time, it's probably in some of these like highly publicized. Uh, applications of machine learning like IBM Deep Blue Mm -hmm. which uh, famously defeated uh, one of the chess champions Gary Kasparov um, and uh, well he he actually lost um, the first game and then ended up winning the the match but then they rematched and Mm -hmm. uh, Deep Blue ended up winning Uh, You know, another system that people have probably heard of is IBM Watson, um, which, you know, famously uh, bested Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter in Jeopardy. So those those two guys, you know, Ken Jennings was the longest streak, uh, win streak at uh, 74 wins. And then Brad Rutter was the largest prize pot. So um, Watson was was able to beat both of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's a little bit of a common misconception about like how that happened. So. Right. Watson has no like real, it's not like it, it, Watson is doing Google searches in the background, right? No, no. It, it really is taking a, a combination of
0: systems that are embedded in machine learning, so natural language processing, to even get uh-huh. the, the speech, the, the text as it's read out to Watson, get it into some form that it can do some work on it and understand that question. It's natural language processing. Then it has to go out. It has to generate some guesses, and then kind of score them about how you know well it thinks it fits to the answer, and then and then it, it chooses the answer from there. So yeah, that's a, a very complicated system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting that we love to see these uh, machine learning agents or artificial intelligence agents play games for some reason. Right. I think they're yeah. they're great test beds. And yeah. games are are very complicated. They're repeatable um, in, in some sense. But uh, the, the promise from Watson was that it could then be deployed to certain real life things like um, mm-hmm. cancer diagnosis and treatment, for example, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of a cautionary tale in that it, it turns out when it was deployed in that environment, it did okay. It, so yeah. there was always, you know, some oncologist sitting over the top, you know, watching mm-hmm. what Watson did, and, and it was graded out to be just okay. I don't know where it stands now. I, I don't know they kind of gave up on that job, but the, mm-hmm. the initial reviews were eh, kind of tepid.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah, and that is where we see a lot of uh, new machine learning algorithms and such being tested, is in the world of games. You have you know uh, well-defined uh, theories behind the games and mm-hmm. controlled variables and controlled environments. Yep. Um, so it's it's a good testbed for these. And, you know, a couple more that, you know, those those were IBM's projects. Google, DeepMind has obviously done. Tons of these, uh, so AlphaGo Go maybe the most famous of those, mm-hmm. uh, arguably. Um, uh, so this was uh, back in 2015. They beat the three-time world champion. Right. And then again in 2016, about a year later, after some modifications, they beat uh, probably like arguably the, the best Go player in the world, 18-time world champion. Um, and then, you know they've kind of iterated on, on those kind of projects where now uh, with more complicated games like Starcraft, Mm -hmm. um, where you have a limited uh, exposure to the environment where there's this like fog of war uh, and you gain more knowledge as you go. Um, This, you know, was as recently as the beginning of this year in January, 2019 uh, where uh, Alpha stars, the name of the project went 10 and one against two of the the top professionals in Starcraft. Um, And again, you know, People are like, well, it's a computer. Of course it's mm-hmm. going to win, right? Mm-hmm. It's faster. It can do more clicks and more things like that. But actually, they, they like artificially limited the, the reaction time of Alpha Star. Uh, to be slower than the, than the pros and uh, similarly limited the APM actions per minute uh, in Starcraft so uh, the numbers I have it's uh, alpha star was 277 actions per minute which is a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. um, but if you look at the number that the pros uh, put out it's 559 in those games so even uh, being handicapped a little bit Alpha star was able to kind of uh, uh, top these two professionals in in Starcraft so those are implementations of machine learning in games, mm-hmm. right? Which is, mm-hmm. again, pretty common. But there's some practical applications out there already, right? So we're seeing it in self-driving cars, right? Yes, uh, I think uh, Tesla is, is uh, very famously uh, engaged in this. And um, there's, there's plenty of other cruise automation um, that are, you know, using machine learning to uh, implement self-driving cars, autonomous cars. There's natural language processing. You see that in your phones, right? right? Um, speech recognition, same kind of thing. Computer vision. Um, you already mentioned medical outcomes analysis, mm-hmm. where uh, you can take, you know, a, a, a scan of a human body, apply an algorithm, and, and say, all right, there's an 85% chance this person has, you know, X mm-hmm. uh, type of cancer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's you know getting more and more more popular. And of course, we're seeing some in the finance industry as well. Right, where uh, trading algorithms and things like that—how is the stock market going to perform tomorrow? Should we make this trade or or that trade? Um, these are all kind of practical implementations of machine learning, right? Yep. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about where it's being used now, mm-hmm. um, and both the kind of like academic research side with the games, and then also the practical side, which kind of shot off that short list. But can you just tell me what is machine learning? Uh, to someone who doesn't know what machine learning is, right? So if we, if we think about traditional
0: computer programming, we're, we're sort of programming against a set of rules. You know, if condition, then then some action or outcome. But in machine learning, we're we're not explicitly pro- programming the rules. We're instead going to allow some algorithm and model to to apply the rules for us. So we'll simply parameterize the model. And let it process the data as is, make some adjustments. That's the learning part of it. It will say, make a prediction or guess. Will rather the model will say, no, that's incorrect. It'll adjust the model and then guess again. So it's
1: it's programming without uh, using ex- explicit instructions. Mm-hmm. And there's different types of machine learning, of course. So what are some of those? That's right. So the, the three main categories are, are supervised learning. So this is where we're
0: going to make some prediction. And mm-hmm. that prediction is made using data that's already labeled. So I should say rather it's trained using data that's already labeled. Right. So we'll we'll maybe dive into that in more detail in a minute. But then the next category is unsupervised learning. So this is a a class of models and algorithms where we don't have labeled data. We, we have some data with, with some features, things that describe the data, but um, we don't know what it is. And instead, we're going to try to glean some information out of that data, just how similar are the items, say, for example. Uh, there's also, in the realm of unsupervised learning, this um, idea of dimensionality reduction or Maybe another way to put it is given the features, the elements that describe the data, which ones are important and which ones mm-hmm. aren't. Mm-hmm. And then the third major classification is reinforcement learning. So this is uh, a subcategory where we uh, want to, to train, a, let's say, learner to find optimal policies given an environment, so that the policy is the set of actions that should be taken given the state of the environment, and, and those acts, actions to maximize the reward, mm-hmm. say, of the agent.
1: Maybe uh, we can just run through each of those kind of in more detail. So starting with yes. supervised learning, um, so uh, if I understand mm-hmm. the way you explained it, uh, we have a set of data uh, that has labels, right? right? Uh, so the we're training a model based on that given set of, of data, yep. and then we're providing it novel information, and it's making predictions based on that training. Yeah, that's right. So
0: maybe to, to have a more concrete example, let's say our data contains information about cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. So the, the label is why, whether that information, that row in the, the database, is describing a cat or a dog. And then the columns in the database are the features of, of the animal, in this case, the weight, the, the height, the length, the color, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the supervised learning models then look at the features, make some guess about what, whether it's a cat or a dog, those features are describing, mm-hmm. and and then learns to kind of do that given the the data. So that's the training process. Right. Features in, labels out, correcting until it's able to make a a pretty good guess about what it was. Then in deployment, we are taking unlabeled data now. We want to make predictions about things we have not seen yet, cats or dogs we haven't yet labeled. And hopefully the the model, properly trained, is able to do
1: that with some high accuracy. Mm -hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, what you're talking about is discrete Labels? That's right. So this would be so, kind of like a classification problem is what we call this in the machine yes. learning world. Yeah. So there's, there kind of two flavors of
0: the supervised learning, um, say, models. There's classification. So I'm, I have some discrete labels, cat or dog. Healthy or unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, yeah. exactly. Cancer whatever. or not cancer, yeah, right, exactly. to, to use the medical analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the other family where we're trying to guess numbers. We're trying mm-hmm. to predict the temperature for the day. Um Things like that, and that's called regression. Okay. So,
1: we're, we're talking about classification and regression in the context of supervised learning. Okay. So, with regression, would it be fair to call those continuous labels? Yes. Like, as far as, like, analogous to the discrete labels of um, classification? That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, could you just give an example of, like... W- a little more in depth of like what classification is like how you would do it like there's certain methods or Sure so uh we're we're dealing with a, a family of models or algorithms so we're just to
0: list off a few one is k nearest neighbors and i mm-hmm. think it, it, as you start to learn about machine learning and and some of the models are are highly mathematical uh, type of type of deals others are kind of in a way meant to mimic the way we think about problems as humans so k nearest neighbors you can imagine if you you plot out your data points on a graph, then uh, you want to make a guess about a new label. So you so you've got your your dots on the graph, and then you pop a new dot down. In k nearest neighbors we're simply going to say that new dot is going to be the uh, match its nearest neighbors. So if if I put I have my cats and dogs, you can imagine them laid out in a graph, and I throw a dot down. If I was had five nearest neighbors, so the K is the number of nearest neighbors I'm gonna look at. Throw my dot on the graph, three of its nearest neighbors are dogs, two are Mm -hmm. cats, then I'm going to say it's a dog. It's a dog. That's that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's K nearest neighbors. Another form is a decision tree. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine I have a tree and I throw all my data into the tree and at each node I make a decision about what to do with that data. I want to split it into uh, different um, paths in the tree. And I will pick out one feature that describes the animal here, cats and dogs in this case, and split based on that feature. So if the animal is above five pounds, I'm going to say it's, uh, well, I'm just going to split to the left. It's below, and split to the right. And keep doing that until I eventually come to the point where I have only either all cats or all dogs, and mm-hmm. then I'll label them as such. That's decision tree. The, the model that's most popular in popular culture is neural networks. So that's the mm-hmm. one that people seem to get the most excited about. It's sort of hard to describe in a podcast, but neural networks are meant in a way to mimic the way our neurons function. So I'm going to take each feature about the cat and dog. I'm going to kind of pass it into a node and multiply it by a weight. And if that excitation, the way that Brain works, that excitation reaches some threshold. I'm going to kind of turn on that neuron mm-hmm. and uh, that ultimately results in some prediction at the end um, to, to try to oversimplify it maybe. Um, final class of classification algorithms is a support vector machine. So again, imagine you throw out all your dots on a, uh, on a graph. I'm trying to pick a split, a line that I can draw between all the points that puts the largest gap between the points, if you will. So the, the, the likelihood that that uh-huh. data actually belongs on you know the left side of the line cats or the right side of the line dogs is maximized as the, the largest uh-huh. gap. Yeah, so that's a, like a quick and dirty rundown of some
1: supervised learning sure. algorithms. Yeah, I'm sure we can do a full episode on <laughs> yeah. probably each one of those, yeah. right? Right, <laughs> right. right. Um, So can you talk about loss functions and kind of like what what does that mean and what are they used for? Yep. So these models need some way to
0: gauge how well they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm I'm making predictions. How good are my predictions? So the loss function is just a measure of that. So I I know the true label and then I might, um, say, take the absolute difference between the two and that's my my cost function, my loss function. So if I mm-hmm. guess it was a cat and it was a dog, I, I kind of I penalize myself mm-hmm. one point, right? And then I add those up over time. And the lower the number, the better. And there's that's the simplest loss function. There's any mm-hmm. number of these, but uh, as I kind of set out
1: to define how well my algorithm's doing, I need some mm-hmm. loss function to right. do that. So the loss function isn't necessarily used to change the model. Uh, the model isn't changing itself with the loss function. It's it's a it's more just a gauge of how the model is. Yeah, it, it depends on the model. So so the way okay. neural networks are trained, it's uh, it
0: has a, a feedback loop. Okay. So so the the loss function is used to determine how to update the the weights uh, mm-hmm. of the the network. Okay. Decision tree doesn't have a, a feedback loop. It it just simply processes the data, spits out a guess, and then tells you know the the programmer, the model maker, how well it did. So
1: it it depends on the, the model. Okay. And then I guess similarly with uh, regression problems, Mm -hmm. what are the common types of those? So uh, the
0: family of models we talked about before are Uh also have analogous implementations for regression. They're called the same thing. It's just that the implementation and the loss function might be different Mm -hmm. depending on what you're using. So for k-nearest neighbors, let's not say we're talking cats and dogs. Let's say we're guessing home prices. Mm -hmm. So I might uh, do the same deal. I'm going to throw down homes onto a graph and then plop a new one down. The price of the home, I'm not going to say that it exactly matches its three nearest neighbors. I want to make um, you know some average maybe between sure. the three in, in this case. So same deal, just a different uh, kind of outlook on, on how you're using the,
1: the end result. Okay, good. Um, so just to summarize supervised learning, we have discrete labels mm-hmm. cat or dog mm-hmm. um these fall into the classification uh type of problem and we have continuous labels like numbers mm-hmm. you know stock price home price right. the examples that you were giving these fall into the regression okay. problems they both uh, kind of share similar algorithms that are just implemented maybe slightly differently right. exactly. different loss functions um and then you know just in general we're providing some set of training data to the model. These are historical observations that have been labeled by presumably a person mm-hmm. in, in most mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then given new data, we're, we're making a prediction. That's right. Yeah. It, it uh, the, the whole idea is making guesses mm-hmm. when it comes to supervised learning.
0: Okay. Exactly.
1: Good. And then are there any sort of challenges or issues that are common in, in supervised learning that people should look out for? Right. So it's,
0: uh, in many sense, kind of all about the data. So the, the models mm-hmm. are only going to be as good as the data that they're trained on. So this is a whole different class of problems, right? Where did the data come from? Uh, if it was entered by a human, there's human error to account for. So the, the the idea of data cleaning and data wrangling, even collecting the data, I mean, that's why we have this, this kind of somewhat new job title, data yep. scientists, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, their job is training models, but also... Uh, and gleaning information out of those models, but also uh, just the collection and the sanitation of data to begin with. So so there's that data problem. A, a second problem is, in data is the number of features. So I, I think this is probably especially true in automation, but people just start collecting data. They throw sensors out mm-hmm. on a machine and collect data. And the more features that you have, the harder it is to train the model, the more data that you need in order mm-hmm. to... Uh, properly train it. You're in, in some sense training the model on features that don't matter, maybe, right. and uh, so so that's a problem. Now in the uh, learning of the model, there's this problem of overfitting. So I can uh, parameterize my model. So with k nearest neighbors, for example, the parameter I have to change is the k, mm-hmm. the number of neighbors I'm looking for. And if I want that model to overfit, I would select k of one. Right now, if I uh, Pass my training data back into the model to see how well it performs, even on the data it's trained on. It will get every guess right. right. It will it'll plot that dot right on top of the dot it was trained to be, mm-hmm. and that is a, the classical example of overfitting.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so if, the, the problem there being that when you use data that's not from your training set, yes. then it can just be wildly, you know, right. Uh, inaccurate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the model's no good.
0: Right. And so. The, the problem of overfitting is, is one that machine learning people have to be very concerned with. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we, we want our models to be able to generalize. Having the, the goal is not necessarily to have a model that gets every single guess right. It, right. it needs to be able to adapt in some sense.
1: Moving on to unsupervised learning, mm-hmm. uh, can you give us a quick intro to what that is and how it's different from supervised? Right. So the,
0: the names there are somewhat misleading, supervised <laughs> and unsupervised. I mean, it, in neither setting, there's a human being necessarily looking over. There, there right. is a family of algorithms where there's like a man in the middle who gets to have some say in, in what's happening. But in general, that's mm-hmm. neither is supervised or, or unsupervised. The um, the idea in unsupervised learning is that I still have some data, but I don't have labels, or maybe I don't care about the labels mm-hmm. in, in a given setting. What I want to know is perhaps how similar are they? So there, to, to put some algorithms to it, there's algorithms like k-means, so I am saying, similar kind of to k-nearest neighbors, I'm saying that there are uh, certain averages that exist in, in this world of data two or three or four of them, I want this model to go out and find them and then assign the data to that average point. So uh, here I'm just in a way saying how similar are rows in the database, Mm -hmm. um, but not explicitly saying I believe they're cats and dogs. Right. Yep. Um, That's unsupervised learning in a nutshell. Unlabeled data, but I'm, I'm trying to glean some information
1: out of it. So do you, do you have like an example of when you would use unsupervised versus supervised? Yeah. So so the obvious case is where I
0: don't have the label. Sure. So again, I'm, I'm doing some data collection or have done some data collection, but I haven't taken the step of, of labeling it. This mm-hmm. is one way to generate a label, even sure. if you don't, maybe with, there's this kind of term domain knowledge, maybe by domain mm-hmm. knowledge, I know that there are four I don't know products that fit this data set I just there are millions of them and I I can't Mm -hmm. go in as a human being and label each one so I'll have an algorithm to try to do that that one is the one that I think makes the most sense this is also a way of there's a process called feature engineering I I want Mm -hmm. to generate more features about my data set and the cluster assignment in, in Say k-means is one way to do that. I can mm-hmm. add an additional column to my data set by running a k-means sure. algorithm on it.
1: So the the good use cases for unsupervised learning are we don't have labels for our data right. uh, or we're trying to find labels for mm-hmm. our data. Um, basically, if you don't have a good clean training set that's labeled, that's right. you, yep. you kind of turn towards unsupervised learning mm-hmm. um, and then we're just giving it this training set of data that is unlabeled and is finding the relationships between those different data points. Is that fair? Yeah, you, okay. you got it. Okay. Um, a, another
0: use for unsupervised learning is when I want to remove columns from my data set. That's right. called a dimensionality reduction. Uh-huh. There's a term, I think we kind of touched on it, uh-huh. the curse of dimensionality. The more features I have, the more data I need to properly model it. So uh, algorithms like principal component analysis are going to go and, and say, which features explain the most variance in this case. I, I actually want features that have variance. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can imagine if I had a, a, a column in my data set where each uh, entry was the same number as zero variance is of no use to me. I, I, I can't glean any information out of it. So principal component analysis mm-hmm. helps explain which features Well, explain the most variants, and then I'll choose to use only those features, you know, some number of them when I go to train my supervised learning model, for example. So the
1: two can go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a really interesting one. Where like, I guess in like your cats and dogs example, mm-hmm. like if, if one of your features was like has hair, mm-hmm.
0: then yeah, that would be
1: responsible for exactly zero variance right. in, in the data set. Right, and right. principal component analysis
0: is gonna go out and kind of rank the, the features mm-hmm. in, in terms of how important they are, if you will, and
1: hair would be at the very, at the very bottom. bottom. It, it yeah. has no value. Yep. So that's uh, unsupervised learning and supervised learning. Right. Uh, the two that we've covered, mm-hmm. and uh, the third one that you mentioned was reinforcement. That's right. So this is kind of the family of
0: algorithms that are concerned with finding optimal policies. So okay. the, the setting here, I have some some world, mm-hmm. and that world is defined by states and actions that the agent can take in that state. So you can imagine a mouse in a maze. Mm-hmm. I can go forwards, backs, left and right. Those are my available actions. And then the state is you know where I am in the the maze so the policy then that i'm trying to teach this agent is the one that maximizes the reward so okay mm-hmm. what's the reward the, the mouse is say, trying to get to the cheese yep. and i generate some reward function getting to the cheese is 100 points if you will and then i might also Shape my reward function so that I penalize just randomly moving around. So mm-hmm. uh, I, every single move that doesn't result in getting the cheese gives me a minus one. But mm-hmm. but ultimately that drives me towards finding the cheese. So reinforcement learning is again the the collection of algorithms that help me find that policy that maximizes. Okay. So where would you see this being used? So we've, we've already talked about some of them, right? Uh-huh. The, the machine learning algorithms that are teaching machines to play games, those uh-huh. are typically using reinforcement learning, maybe in combination with some of the other stuff we've talked about. But yep. those are reinforcement learning problems. I think we'll talk about some in the realm of industrial automation uh-huh. that could make some sense. But really, we're, any place we have some, some state. Yeah. set of actions and some reward function to maximize mm-hmm. is a candidate for supervised learning. Right. Um, self-driving cars. I think yep. another example, my, my policy, I want to um, maximize my reward that's getting the destination and I want to do it in the shortest amount of time possible with the fewest number of collisions and mistakes
1: made. Yeah, and so this is, I think, an interesting point where this is being used in a lot of those applications of machine learning in games, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, um, you know AlphaGo and AlphaStar, if we can define these real-world problems as games, yeah. where they have a reward function and and we're defining the environment and the actions that you can take, it, it basically is a game, right? And so then we can use these same principles and, and kind of translate them to solve real problems. Yep, yeah, that's, that's the dream. You yeah. know, I think that there's a lot of research going into that area. I don't think I
0: know there's a lot of research going into that area. I think it turns out that some environments are well suited to this and some mm-hmm. are not. So even in the context of games, there's a company, OpenAI, I think that's Elon Musk's group, but they've put out an environment, OpenAI Gem, and it's got, I think every Atari game that was ever made. And it's, mm-hmm. it's simplified things in such a way that it provides you the state and the actions, and then you you build up a model. Mm-hmm. Find the policy to play that games, and it's good at half of them and bad right. at half of them. Yeah. So on average, it's like okay. Right. So there's again some domain knowledge, perhaps which mm-hmm. environments make sense to be approached in this way, which ones don't. But this is this is where the research is right now. Mm-hmm. Can we just? throw environments at a model and it spits out the best thing
1: to do and right. and then we're all out of jobs, right? <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, so I think I've seen that uh, there, there's like an infographic that uh, shows like all those games and it's like relative to like where 100% is like human right. uh, performance levels and yeah, some of them are like really bad yeah. like Centipede or, or something really like that interesting. It's, it's really bad which is, yeah, you wouldn't think that but and then it's really good at some like 300 times better. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's interesting. You would think yeah. that it why? What, what? Yeah. Yeah. What makes any
0: Atari game really that much different from the other? But is the case it cannot play some, it can right. very well play
1: others. Yeah. So maybe jumping ahead here, but mm-hmm. in the context of, of something like that, like how how do you make that decision of whether it makes sense to use machine learning yeah. in an application, and how do you define the success of that? And like how because like inherent in machine learning, mm-hmm. right? We don't really know. Hundred percent, what's happening uh, all the time? Or- sure, I mean that's,
0: yeah, I may not going to tangent, but this is black yeah. box to a lot of people. I mean, even yep. even not to get maybe political, but people feel like they're being mm-hmm. mistreated, maybe in some mm-hmm. way. They had this all this data collected about them at some point, right. and now they're like powerless against it. They're, they yep. are, you know, creatures of their habits and they can't mm-hmm. help it now they're being recommended these things to do but not not to go down that path <laughs> to, to actually answer your question mm-hmm. how do we know what to use when to use it so there is a I don't know if you call it a theorem but a mindset this mm-hmm. this idea that there's no free lunch so the, the mm-hmm. no free lunch theorem so uh, given mm-hmm. given a problem you're not guaranteed that this thing will always work so what I mean to say is you can't always use a neural network to address every problem they mm-hmm. are ill-suited to certain problems that maybe decision trees are are better suited to so that's that's the the idea within just say supervised learning is selecting a, an algorithm to address a certain problem now whether problem can even be approached given you know what you know about it and the models you have available there's some just try it yep. idea yep. i mean it's sure. it's cost you not much given the platforms that are out there to to try a uh, a neural network approach to supervised learning, a mm-hmm. decision tree approach, and then you just look at the loss function, right? Mm-hmm. Which one scores the best on that problem? So um, then the, the the final way is that just that domain knowledge we know from experience that certain approaches will be successful here and some will
1: mm-hmm. So that's reinforcement learning, basically, kind of trial and error. Mm-hmm done by the agent to, to get the most reward. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's really it. It's, mm-hmm. um, is, it's pretty amazing because yeah. uh,
0: as, as I understand it's the way that AlphaGo is done and in any reinforcement learning program, really, you're not really programming the rules, right? You, you provide the legal actions that can be yep. taken in a given state, but you don't really necessarily even say what the goal of the game is. You just mm-hmm. have a reward function. Now that mm-hmm. information is kind of buried in the reward function if you will to get the cheese the 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 goal of the game is to get the cheese but um yeah yeah you just kind of throw it in there tell Mm -hmm. it what it can do and
1: it finds out the best way to do it it's really pretty neat yeah i saw a really interesting one i think just yesterday actually where um kind of similar the the goal was you know like progress as far as possible and it was just uh like a human form basically is given certain actions so you can move all your joints. And these things basically like learn to walk. And there's some like idiosyncratic movements where they're like waving their arms while they walk for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. They can like jump across gaps and things oh, like that. Man. pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. I've seen a
0: video of a guy training a model to play Mario. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's very, 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 very good at it, <laughs> but it doesn't know it's playing Mario. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's another interesting thing where um, some of this like artificial intelligence stuff starts to creep in. Where it's mm-hmm. like when a when a model like generates some like novel uh, way to do something, it's like is that intelligent? I don't, I right, don't know. Yeah. So like I know in the Alpha Star example, right? Like they're, the players are like this did some really creative thing. This like right. you know strategy that it implemented was is, is intelligent. Right. right. Yeah. So, there's
0: a uh, there's another model out there that plays dota this game dota that's i think again coming out of elon musk's group and same thing it's it's professionals watching this and wow that's actually advanced strategy and
1: uh, it feels like learning right yeah um, yeah, very impressive i don't want to get into too much detail but like other terms that people may hear when they're Mm -hmm. talking about machine learning or artificial intelligence could you just give us like you know quick top five things other things we should know besides unsupervised supervised and reinforcement learning so the I think you'll the the term you hear the most is deep learning. People, mm-hmm. ooh, deep learning. Yeah. That's,
0: that sounds deep. And <laughs> uh, really, all deep learning is a, a, the the family of algorithms concerned with neural networks. But, but in particular, mm-hmm. large neural networks. Mm-hmm. We have lots and lots of neurons arranged in, in many layers. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the audience, there's really still just neural networks applied in
1: specific ways. So, neural networks will be a good one to know about. Yes. Um, Presumably, anybody listening uh, would be able to have a conversation about machine learning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to know. Um, So, I I guess on that note, what would you need if you wanted to get started with machine learning, whether you're an OEM machine builder Mm -hmm. or just someone who's interested in it, where where do you start with this kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, so the, the Python programming language is, kind of, is I, I would say, the popular one right now. And to that end, there are uh, Python deployments, in particular uh, one called Anaconda, that you can go and download, and it will install all of the packages that you really need to get started. So um, NumPy makes has collection of libraries that Mm -hmm. implement matlab sort of functionality and was a big number crunching library and then anaconda comes equipped with scikit-learn so that has all of the algorithms that we've talked a bit about today and many more actually it has example data sets so that the sort of hello world programming examples uh the iris data set anyone who's looked into this seen the iris and the numbers data set so iris is a collection uh of data that describes irises and models can make guesses about which type of iris they are and the number data set is a collection of pictures of of numbers Mm -hmm. so you can actually do some some vision type applications that um you know people have actually hand drawn numbers and then it will look at them and and guess what number it is with with very high accuracy so all you really need to get started is to go download anaconda and pull up
1: an example on the internet and Mm -hmm. get going yeah, and so I guess it, once you move from that to a real application, the biggest problem is finding good data. That's right. Right? <laughs> yep. So, you know, if you want something more
0: meaningful to practice on, there are data sets out there. I, I, I don't have any to list off the top of my head. I mean, I know the government has public data sets that you can mm-hmm. go and, and play around in. There is a website that you can go to and actually participate in competitions. So they'll okay. provide a data set. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's real real life customers saying, hey, here's our data, right. help us do something with it, make mm-hmm. predictions or, or what have you. And uh, so you can do it in the context of competitions and, and you can also find examples there We're from past competitions, people have published their approaches. So you can get your hands on some data, then ultimately, you know, if you're, we're talking about Context of you know your profession, then you need to kind of make it your job to go out and
1: get it, mm-hmm. save it away, and then do something with it. So, any tips on how to get good data? So, <laughs> <laughs> hard question. Yeah,
0: it kind of is a hard <laughs> question. So, I mean, you need some. Let's say, let's say, context of industrial automation, you need some way of collecting that information. So, sensors mm-hmm. on the machine, accelerometers, things like that. Some way to store it so this is typically going to be some database that the with the advent of cloud technology you typically mm-hmm. have easy access to uh, your platform needs to support the ability to get that data there but otherwise save it away um, and you need lots of it right so mm-hmm. make sure the data is collected in a clean way you you, you don't like to see empty entries in a, in a given column or right. row that kind of poisoned your data set, the data has mm-hmm. to be cleaned or removed entirely, but otherwise just have lots of it
1: and start to try to do things with it. As far as using machine learning in the industrial automation space, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where are some places that either you've seen it or yep. you think would be good applications? Yep. So I've, I've definitely seen machine
0: vision. I think that's the, mm-hmm. the big one and, yep. and that's very important to us in industrial automation. So... Um, you can imagine product coming down a conveyor belt, and I want to determine what it is so that I can make some downstream decision about it, or maybe I'm doing inspection. Is the product properly assembled or not? <laughs> uh, and on and on and on. So, of course, machine vision has been in machines for some time, but they're using, let's say, classical ways of doing this so it's just edge detection algorithms things Mm -hmm. are are tuned maybe to, to pick up on certain things that tuning process is is timely and hard you have to kind of be a specialist um, whereas with machine uh, vision and machine learning, we are just going to take example pictures of these things, mm-hmm. uh, pass them through some model, and then it will make some guess about it. So they're very advanced algorithms for kind of decomposing images and, and determining, you know, if they contain certain things, mm-hmm. what of them, how many, where are they located within the picture, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So I think machine vision is, I think, one big obvious one that uh, is, is already in deployment okay. today. Um, another is preventive maintenance. So again, we're, we, we've discussed algorithms that make predictions about things. So I can um, perhaps make a prediction about how far am I from needing to ha- have some maintenance or uh, I am detecting certain maintenance conditions here given the the state of the machine, the, the inputs that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so condition monitoring and preventive maintenance are are certainly going to be or and already are, yeah. uh, examples in use where people are, are saving time and money on machines by preventing mass failures with some mm-hmm.
1: preventive maintenance. Right. Do you, do you think that we'll start seeing uh, maybe more... Uh, or less data-centric and more like physical implementations of machine learning, where, for example, in robotics, mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. teaching mm-hmm. robots moves or, or letting the robot optimize a process, so, yes, uh, sort so of reinforcement learning. So right so. again, reinforcement yeah. learning is the is just the holy grail.
0: We'd, yeah. we'd like to just throw a, a robot into an environment and mm-hmm. let it figure, pro- figure it out some reward yeah. function for picking up. Uh, you picked it up hundred points. Mm-hmm. and take the next action. Uh, I understand that that this is being done to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I personally think it's a difficult class of problems. Sure. It, I think as, as you kind of look at the implementation, the use of machine learning in industrial automation, a lot of times the original approach to solving the problem is suitable. It in it, right. it, something that doesn't make sense to, to train the robot to do it. but for very complicated things, uh, or maybe to, to take maybe a different example, Tuning control loops or or mm-hmm. or parametrizing systems, especially if they're extremely complicated, is one space where this could be very useful. And we right. we are able to simulate things to a great extent, so we can throw this uh, reinforcement learner in there, just like it were trying to learn to play Atari games, with the goal of it being to find the parameters, the policy, the parameters that generate the greatest reward, the the Mm -hmm. least amount of uh, whatever overshoot in a a temperature system, say, for example. So, yeah, there, I think, are are very real use cases for reinforcement learning in tuning control loops, uh, potentially Mm -hmm. in teaching robots to do things. And it certainly, I think, could be done. It probably has been done. Uh, I worry a little bit about the difficulty of those problems, where where we have... I don't know how many companies, this whole companies, are trying to uh, do the automated cars, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, a complicated problem, but so is you know teaching a robot to do something. So um, I
1: I think it's going to be difficult, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the the point you bring up about reinforcement learning though is a good maybe uh, implementation of simulation. Yeah, it's a good it's a good reason at least to start looking at things like simulation and digital twin and data collection, getting connected to the cloud uh, with, with your machines and with your, your manufacturing facility to, to enable this kind of thing in the future. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You, you should be forward-thinking. I think there are examples where it's maybe not reasonable or certainly undesirable to do these tunings, tuning operations on site. You can right. imagine some of the material you're working with is extremely expensive, maybe right. caustic or dangerous. You don't yeah. want to be maybe around it, exposed to it. Right. So you have to observe from a distance yep. anyway. And it's uh, slow right? That's right. Yeah. And we're talking about temperature systems It take hours, maybe, I don't know, even days for certain things to come to stability. And right. the more you're able to simulate the better. That's that's true in industrial automation in general, but in the context of machine learning, it gives you another way to approach problem. All right. Any closing thoughts on machine learning? I think that we'll see more and more of it. It's already being deployed and, and saving companies a lot of money. I, I think the the one area we've not talked about is process optimization. What I mean is, mm-hmm. is just supply chain, the, right. the best way to lay things out, the amount of material yeah. you need coming in a, in, a, in a given day so that you don't have to, to warehouse things, say, for example. Um, those are, are real-life examples where machine learning is being deployed and saving companies a lot of time and money. All right, Jeremy.
1: Well, I appreciate uh, the discussion. Yeah. really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. So in future episodes, we're going to be diving into even more exciting topics. I'm sure we'll have some some more stuff on machine learning. Uh, there's lots more to talk about. We'll talk about IOT and cloud, which are a few things that we mentioned in this episode. Uh, we'll, of course, cover the traditional automation technologies as well, servo motors, when to use a PC, when to use a PLC, uh, all those kind of topics. We've got more special guests lined up and more special topics that you definitely want to keep an eye out for. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you enjoyed it, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple podcast or a comment if you're so kind. And if you'd like to get in touch with me or have a question or idea for the show, just pass that along to me on LinkedIn or by email at automationpodcast.gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on This Is Automation.